0: You're listening to audio from Christ Community Church in Fishers, Indiana. Our mission is to develop disciples of Jesus to impact the world. If you'd like to find out more information about us or donate to our ministry, please visit us at our website at cccfishers.org. Thanks for joining us. Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 32. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name means Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she got up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. When Luke began the story of Acts, he stated his thesis statement up at the beginning very clearly. Essentially, the gospel is what he's saying. The gospel is going to go out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is exactly where Luke has taken us over the last number of months. We have seen the gospel go out into Jerusalem and rush Through the city as the Holy Spirit descended. We have seen the gospel go out to Judea and the surrounding area as the disciples traveled in those regions. We have seen the surprise of the gospel or of the disciples as they realized the gospel was now in Samaria. So surprised were they that the Samaritans were believing that they themselves had to go to Samaria and see the Holy Spirit descend on the Samaritans. And then we got to see the gospel chase down the Ethiopian eunuch on that wilderness road as he traveled back to the ends of the earth. But the gospel didn't stop just by going to these geographical places. The gospel continued to keep moving and spreading in surprising places. It did not just go to those who were receptive, but also to those who were antagonistic to Jesus and his teaching. When the gospel overtook Saul on that road to Damascus, we began to see just how expansive the kingdom of God truly is. There is not one person who is too far from God, not one person who is too resistant to God's good news, not one person who is too sinful for the cross of Christ. Every person is capable of being redeemed by the good news of the God who took on flesh and went to the cross on our behalf. And the gospel is going to keep on going. It's going to keep spreading. And it's going to spread throughout the Roman Empire. And Acts is going to tell us all about that. But before Luke tells us that story, he's going to shift the narrative away from Saul And back to Peter, just for a moment. Peter is traveling throughout the country in a region in what is now modern-day Tel Aviv. And as Peter travels in this region, Luke tells us two stories. First, Peter meets a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden for eight years. When Peter meets Aeneas, he tells Aeneas to get up, to roll up his mat, and to walk. And he, and he does this by proclaiming that Jesus Christ has healed him. And then Aeneas walks. Then Peter goes to Joppa because he is told about a woman who has died. That woman's name is Tabitha. Now there are a number of fascinating details about Tabitha's life, and we're going to get to a number of those in the course of the morning, but for now, I just want to focus on the fact that this woman is being named as a disciple of Jesus. That doesn't seem like a big deal to us. It feels like a rather obvious point that this woman could be a disciple, but it's worth pointing out that in a patriarchal society, Luke is making sure that his readers understand that this woman is a disciple of Jesus. Luke is not wanting us to see that she is just a committed Christian or, uh, or someone who has been following Jesus around. No, she is a disciple. She is a learner. She is someone who is taking on the way of Jesus in her life. And not only that, but she's a person of an importance and status within the community of the church in Joppa, which is why we get seven verses about this woman. Luke wants our attention to be drawn to her for just a little bit. Luke wants us to see her faith. He wants us to take notice of the actions that flow from that faith. By naming her and giving this much attention to her, Luke intends for us to see that this woman, who is a disciple of Jesus, is worth paying attention to. Tabitha has died. Peter goes into the upper room. It's amazing what the Spirit does in the upper rooms. But Peter goes up into the upper room, prays, and then commands the woman to get up. And she does. Back in January, we kind of we sent out an invitation that you would read, join me, us in reading a gospel every single month of the year. So in January, Matthew. In February, Mark. In March, yep, March, Luke. And then now, John, April, John. And if you've been working your way through the gospels or maybe you've read them in the past that you know this, that as I read that story at the end of Acts chapter 9 or the two stories at Acts chapter 9 there, that it sounded very very familiar. And it sounds familiar because these healings, these miracles are echoes of Jesus' healing ministry on earth. But what's interesting about these two stories is not just their similarities, but it's the fact that these people are named. Outside of Lazarus, we don't know many of the names of the people that Jesus healed, but, but Luke gives us their names. Peter didn't just heal a lame man. He healed Aeneas. It wasn't just a disciple who died that was raised from the dead. It was Tabitha. These two individuals have names. They're known. And as the gospel, like in the story of Acts, what we see is the gospel goes out from person to person. It goes from hundreds and thousands of people coming to the Lord in a single day. We have reports of villages and whole cities coming to God because of what is happening in the books of the Acts. And then here we have these stories of two individuals who are named, Aeneas, Tabitha. Do you ever feel like you get lost in the shuffle? Do you ever feel like the the church is this big group, this community, and even in a church like our size, that sometimes there are people in it that get overlooked and that maybe you're one of those people? Do you ever perhaps feel that way with God? That there are millions and millions of Christians throughout the world and billions of Christians throughout history, and some of those Christians get so much attention, right? Peter, John, Paul, I mean, they get pages and pages and pages written about them, but there are so many that go unnoticed. We hear stories of people in the book of Acts. The Samaritans believe, but who are they? We don't know their names. There are people who are in Jerusalem who are followers of Jesus, and under the persecution that happens in Jerusalem, they flee. We don't know who they are. We don't know where they go. We don't know how that persecution impacted them, whether they kept the faith or not. There are Christians in other surrounding areas, in Judea. We know nothing about them. It can feel as if there are some who get all of the attention and others get overlooked or at best they get typecast. The lame man, the blind guy, the dead widow. But here Luke gives us names. Aeneas, Tabitha, John, Carol, Robbie, Linda, PJ, maybe Maybe Luke slows down the narrative just enough to include Ananias and Tabitha's names as a way of reminding us that as the gospel expands around us and even beyond us that we are not forgotten. That our stories matter. Even if we only get two verses. That our names are known, even if it feels like they only get mentioned once. And the reason our stories matter and the reason that our names are known is because, and, and, and here's, here's the important thing because we are the saints. Now, the NIV translation, for all of the reasons I like the NIV, the NIV absolutely butchers this. And I never want you to distrust your Bible, and there's nothing here to distrust, nothing in these verses that is false, but in an attempt to make the text more readable, some of the texture got flattened out. In verse 32, we're told that Peter travels the countryside to visit with the Lord's people. Most translations don't have that, and I don't know why the NIV said that. What is in the text is the word agios, which means holy ones, or sacred ones, or saints. And saints is the word that is most often used in other translations. Peter is traveling about the country, visiting the saints. Aeneas and Tabitha are not just people who are on the receiving end of a miracle. They are not simply individuals who live in Lydda or Joppa. They are holy ones. And remember this designation of holy is a unique designation given to those things or the people who belong to God. They are the things that are designated for use in God's presence. And that designation of being holy is to set something or someone apart from that which is common. So bread. Bread can be common. It can be every day sitting on your table, run of the mill, important and necessary to our nourishment, but still just bread. Or it can be holy bread that is meant to be in the presence of God. Sanctified to the Lord for his use. And those things that are sanctified To be used in the presence of God can only be sanctified by God. Or another way to say it is God, only God can make one holy. You can't clean yourself up enough. You can't make yourself enough or wash yourself enough. You can't make yourself unique enough to earn the designation of being holy. Becoming holy is not something that someone does. Rather, becoming holy is something that is done to someone what happens is that in Jesus, the common becomes holy. And when in particular, what we see in Jesus is that humanity and holiness have, well, they come together in a unique way. Humanity and holiness are often seen as a contradiction. Throughout the Bible and throughout human history, we, we see that humanity is often presented as as wicked as in Noah's generation. Or as complaining and grumbling as in the Israelites wandering about in the wilderness. Or or we see humanity as refusing to trust in God just like the Israelites clamored for a king. Or we see humanity willing to betray at a moment's notice like Peter did when he was asked if he knew Jesus. Or we see humanity as a bloodthirsty mob who demands vengeance as they cried for Jesus to be crucified. Holiness as if it existed at all within humanity tends to be the exception until God took on flesh in the person of Jesus. And in that moment, when the immortal became mortal, when the divine became tangible and touchable, the holy and the humanity were united. God's holiness commingled with humanity in the flesh and blood of Jesus and was expressed in generosity and grace and mercy and hospitality and justice. Through the incarnation, the everyday and ordinary got swept up into the holiness of God. Fishes and loaves, mustard seeds and figs, sheep and goats, workers in the vineyard, the waters of baptism, bread and wine. Ordinary objects became infused with the otherworldliness of God's holiness. And as the common got swept up into the vortex of the hallowedness of God's presence. So did Aeneas and Tabitha. And so do you and me, everyday people, becoming holy in Christ. This is what it means to be made new you and I lose our commonness and take on the distinctive otherness that comes from me being united to the one who took on flesh and blood and sanctified the world through his blood. I think this is what gave C.S. Lewis the confidence to write this. He says this, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest and most understanding, uh, understanding person you may talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all play, all loves, all play, and all politics. There are no ordinary people. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, the Eucharist, your neighbor is next to the holiest object presented to your senses. Peter is not just traveling around the country, meeting with people. He was visiting the saints. And in Tabitha, the saint, we see how the holy ones of God live. From the very beginning, we learn that Tabitha is a person who is loved by the community in Joppa. And the reason that she's loved is because she exemplified what it meant to be a person who did good works in Christ. Now, it's very likely that she was a person of wealth, although we cannot know that for sure. What we do know is that what marked her and what people loved about her was her generosity. That's what Luke focused on and that's what she, he, 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 he drew our attention to. Tabitha was one who was willing to put her resources, whatever they were, to put her resources towards meeting the needs of others. And it seems like a small thing. It seems like an obvious thing. But again, this is what Luke wants us to see. I mean, just think about, just think about this story in light of the book of Acts as a whole. The book, Acts, is a fast-paced book. It is action-oriented. It focuses on the apostles and their movements, the work of the Holy Spirit. It jumps from place to place. I mean, people are led to a wilderness road, and then, boom, in an instant, they're in another city preaching the gospel. But here, Luke slows down the narrative just enough to tell us some details about this woman. He wants us to see what it is that she was doing. She was always doing good, helping the poor, And she was so beloved by the community that we're told that the widows took time to show Peter the robes and the other clothing that Tabitha had made while she was alive. Maybe you've had the opportunity to be in the room with family and friends who have just lost a loved one. What happens often in those times is that in the midst of the grief and in the midst of the mourning, people begin to tell stories. They tell stories that made the person who has passed away unique. They tell stories that define their character, the good things that they did, the silly things, their idiosyncrasies, what made them them. A lot of times, pictures get passed around. Or maybe an object in the room is pointed to. That's something they made. That was important to them. They gave me this. That's what these widows are doing to Tabitha, or for Tabitha. They're leading Peter around and saying, this is who she was. This is what she did. Look at what she made. It is an intimate and powerful moment. And Luke gives us, he, he, he takes us into this tender moment so that we can see this woman who took cloth and lovingly created and creatively made garments for widows. Widows, women who are at the bottom rung of society, women who were largely left to fend for themselves. But Tabitha cared for them. And the care and attention that Tabitha gave them was so meaningful that they wanted to share it with Peter. Look what she did. Look who she was. I love this moment in this story so much. And and here's why I love this story. Because... Here we have Tabitha the saint. But we're given a picture of saintly living that is not unattainable. It's simple and yet profound. It's beautiful in its ordinariness. It's making clothes for the needy. Do you know? that there are a number of women in this congregation who are making blankets for a pregnancy center here nearby. Women who are taking cloth and lovingly and skillfully making something that another will take and lovingly and tenderly wrap a child in. It's holy work. It's quiet it often goes unseen. It doesn't get pressed like Peter's escapades or Philip's chasing down a chariot. But it's no less holy. Tabitha's lifestyle was marked by generosity. She shared her resources with those who were in need, which reminds me of this church every time there is a community a need that arises in the community you all step up to meet it you offer money, you make meals, you provide childcare. you give rides, you write notes, you say prayers. I mean, these activities on the one hand seem so common, seem ordinary, but they are not ordinary because they have been sanctified by the Lord and thus are holy. And in their holiness, the Lord makes that comfort and that joy and that encouragement and that support and that love that they provide, miracles of the everyday. They're holy works. over vacation last week i read a biography by, uh, about or i read a biography of eugene peterson eugene peterson was a beloved pastor and writer who wrote the message translation of the bible he's one of my mentors from afar not that i ever met him but i mean by afar like i just read his books and really really like him there's a story in the biography of Eugene speaking at a conference, and when he wasn't speaking, he was in, out in the, the audience, the crowd, and he was listening to another pastor preach. And as he was listening to the speaker, he became more and more troubled. In his journal, he wrote this, Slight uneasiness. Is this preaching or religious drama? I guess what I'm mostly interested in these days is holiness. Holiness. I'm on the watch for saints. I want to be a saint. The line in there that haunts me is religious drama. I don't want my life to be performance. I don't want my life to be inauthentic. I don't want to pretend to be the saint. I want to be a saint. And sometimes that feels lofty and otherworldly. It, 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 feels, it feels like it's not grounded here. And, 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 and to use the words, I'm not, I'm not even sure what it looks like. If you were to ask me to describe it, it sometimes feels ethereal. It feels like you can't get your fingertips around it. But then the author says this, and this is a mix of it's a mix of the author's own commentary and Eugene's words that are written in his journal. So just know these kind of weave together in a really unique way. But he writes this. And this desire was not for hyper spirituality. Rather, Eugene longed to be more and fully human, following the way of Jesus. Why not be a saint? Why this minimalist spirituality? Why stop with getting rescued from hell? Why not start exploring heaven? Our good works are not about us escaping. Hell, we have already been rescued from Hell. Christ did that work for us on the cross. It is why Jesus said it is finished. There is nothing left to do. There is nothing that we could do, no work we could offer, no no way in which we could change our life that would add anything to what Christ did on the cross. That work is finished. We have been rescued from hell. So let's not try to escape it any longer. Let's live in that reality. Let's start exploring heaven. I want to be more and fully human. And I think living as a saint, living like Tabitha. It's part of the way that we live fully human. It's part of the the grounded spirituality that makes Christianity and following Jesus so attractive is that it means something for this life. Yes and amen. It means something for later, but it means something for this life. It's a spirituality of the ground of the humus, humans, The spirituality of relationships. I want to, I want to be on the watch for saints. I want to be on the watch for those who live that kind of grounded spirituality, who make garments and weave cloth into be- beautiful ways in order to serve. The people on the bottom rungs of society who often get overlooked. I want to be on the lookout for those who remember the names. The names of people who don't get all the verses and all the pages. I want to be on the watch for saints. I want to be a saint. I want to be about the work of exploring heaven now. And I want to be with people who are interested in that as well. We are the ones who have been sanctified, set apart. We are the saints. Let us explore heaven together. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, for the defeat of death and his resurrection from the grave. And the fact that you have promised that the inheritance that Christ received in his resurrection is also given to us. Give you thanks by the Holy Spirit. Our baptism is a sign and a seal that we belong to you. We are the saints your saints. I pray that we would be a people who pursue that together. That as your church, we would encourage and build up one another so that we might live as the holy ones of God on this life, in this world.